This message is presented by Pastor Chuck Wilson. Okay, Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church, and we are in Daniel chapter 4 now. We're moving through Daniel very quickly. It's getting more and more exciting each, well, it's always exciting, but more and more exciting building. Nebuchadnezzar's nightmare today. God can reach anyone. God can get anyone's attention. Daniel 1, Daniel 4, Daniel 4, starting with verse 1. And this is really about God getting our attention, getting Nebuchadnezzar's attention, getting our attention. He can reach anybody, get, reach us wherever we are. King Nebuchadnezzar is one bad dude. He, was, he is bad. He is brutal. He's one of the worst ever. He is drunk with power. We already saw how he liked to cook his enemies or anybody who ticked him off. Even those who worked for him, he's ready to cut them to pieces at any at the drop of a hat. He's just ready at any time if they don't perform, even the impossible. If he gives them a, an impossible task, if they can't perform that, he's ready to just cut them to pieces. And if you were his enemy, forget about it. <laughs> forget about it. Uh, in 2 Kings 25.7, we see that Zedekiah had rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. He had, Nebuchadnezzar had left him as a puppet king in Jerusalem, but he had rebelled against him. And so Nebuchadnezzar finally tracks him down. He was running away from Jerusalem trying to get away. Nebuchadnezzar catches him and he sets Zedekiah in front of him and he takes his sons who were the princes and he kills them. He butchers them right in front of Zedekiah and then he pokes out his eyes, blinds him so that the last thing he ever saw, this last memory possible for the king Zedekiah was the murder of his sons and then he throws him into a dungeon he he doesn't kill him put him out of his misery no he brings him back to Babylon throws him into a dungeon and lets him rot away in this dungeon for for you know for a long long time he wants to, him to just suffer if there this was a super one of these superhero movies that we see all the time now made Nebuchadnezzar would have been that powerful evil villain that nobody can stand up against this is Nebuchadnezzar yet we're going to see something amazing shocking really shocking happening here in chapter Chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar becomes a believer and finds salvation in the one true God. Amazing. Shocking. But it really shouldn't shock us, should it? Because God has saved each one of us who has put, who put our faith in his son, Jesus Christ. He saved us. And we are all little Nebuchadnezzars. We're just like Nebuchadnezzar. The, uh, you know, we, we're just like him. We, the only difference is that he had absolute power. <laughs> and that's why he became absolutely a monster, which made him a complete monster. That would make anybody a complete monster. If we had the power that Nebuchadnezzar had, any one of us would turn into a monster. Reminds me of Lord of the Rings. Remember when the, the, the elf queen wouldn't take the ring from uh, Frodo, I think it was who at the time, Frodo. And she said, no, because I'll be, if I had that and I became powerful, I became wicked just like Sauron became wicked. And she wouldn't take it. And that's because any one of us given that kind of power will become a monster. I've been watching the Michael Jordan story, The Last Dance, the documentary, because there's no real basketball, so we're all watching the old basketball. And Michael Jordan, what's come out in this as we get to the end of this documentary is that he was a monster. He is a monster. On and off the court, a monster. But he had so much power and popularity, it would do the same to any one of us. We would all become like Michael, like, be like Mike. We'd all become like Mike. Not the good Mike, but the monster Mike. Uh, and that's what power and popularity, we can't handle worship. We can't handle power. We can't handle the money. We can't handle it. No human being can handle it. It was made for God alone. Power and worship were made for God alone. Only he can handle it. Only he can do it. But the, but, so he's a monster, but the amazing part 
of Daniel 4 is that Nebuchadnezzar puts his faith in God and changes. It shows that God can reach anybody, can change anybody, anywhere, at any time, any way he wants to. He can do it. He can do it. We already saw Nebuchadnezzar, Neb, Nebuchadnezzar taking steps of faith in Daniel 1. Remember the food? He saw the difference in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then in Daniel 2, the dream that got his attention, and he saw how God could, could answer, give the answer to that dream. Then in Daniel 3, we saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And we saw that he realized that God was number one. Still lots of other gods, but God at least is God is number one. He's taking all these steps to faith, and we can see our own faith journeys t- very similar to this. We already, we then today we come to chapter four, <clears throat> and he has another dream, another nightmare. Only it's one he's going to have to live out this nightmare, and it, God uses this nightmare and living out of this nightmare to break him and to save Nebuchadnezzar. He will take his final step of faith in chapter four here. Very amazing. So um, uh, we. We, you would have thought after chapters 1 to 3, Nebuchadnezzar would already be humble. He'd already be ready to take that final step of faith, right? After all he saw, the dream and the food, the food, the dream and the fire, you think he'd already be like ready to go. But, but no, 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 no. The, human, the Bible makes it very clear that the human heart is very proud very self-sufficient. Only God can shock this heart of ours. Only he can break our hearts. Only he can change us and save us and keep us soft. Even after salvation, we can go back to our old monster selves very easily. Only God can keep us soft. He's the only one who can do it. And we're going to see how today, how God finally gets Nebuchadnezzar's attention, which leads to his salvation because he puts his faith in the one true God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this hopeful story that you can save anyone, any one of us. We are all just like Nebuchadnezzar. We all could become just like him. We are like him. Lord, I just pray that every one of us would see that and would, would be soft to you and would, would respond to what you're trying, how you're trying to reach us and change us and save us and keep us soft as Christians, keeping us soft. I pray that we go through this chapter that it would really touch our heart. And if anybody is watching this who has not put their faith in Jesus, they, he, they would do that today as they're watching this. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so <clears throat> let's pick it up here with Daniel chapter 4. Crazy, crazy story. I'm so excited about preaching this. Verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. This proclamation Something big has happened in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He's never been so nice before ever. We're going to come back to this at the end of the chapter and see what led up to this amazing proclamation and we'll revisit this proclamation. But look at verse 4 now. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Contented and prosperous. The, The original language here is a picture of a flourishing green plant. That's the picture that that he's using, a flourishing green plant. Babylon was famous for flourishing green plants. It was known for the 
Hanging Gardens, the famous Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar's one of one of his many many brides was homesick for her lush homeland. She missed her home, lush homeland, so he built this for her. He could do anything. He had the money. He he built these three hundred foot terraces, three hundred foot terraces, plants from all over the world. He brought them in and, and put them in. He put in a sprinkler system, so it was constantly raining. You know, he had the sprinkler thing dropping down, raining constantly, and this is a what what he's talking about is a picture of him flourishing here. And <clears throat> this is also a spiritual picture. He felt like he was flourishing. It was pride. It was all me. Everything's going, my, everything's going great. Look what I did. And then in verse 5, look what it says. Uh, I had a dream. Sorry, I'm contented and prosperous, but... <clears throat> Verse 5, I had a dream that made me afraid as I was lying in my bed. The images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. God gets his attention. God shakes him up. He has a nightmare. He is terrified. I like the, the King James uh, version of this. The King James where it says, Thoughts upon my bed, visions of my head. I just love that little poetry there. Thoughts upon my bed, visions of my head. His security was an optical illusion. An optical illusion. It was shattered by this nightmare, which he would soon live out. His false sense of security is going to be shattered. I think of what's happened in our country, the World Trade Center, almost 20 years ago now, and, and how that shattered our security. I think of the coronavirus pandemic and the panic that it's generated. It's freaking so many people out. They have this incredible fear and anger. What are they angry about? Because they're afraid. That's why the anger comes out at us if we're not <coughs> far enough away. <laughs> we accidentally get inside of six feet or whatever they decide they want. Or It's fear. It's fear, and, and that brings out the anger. And that is what has happened in so many. It's shattered this false sense of security. And then look at verses 6 and 7. Where it says, so I, this is Nebuchadnezzar, so I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. This time he actually tells them the dream, and they still can't interpret it. No, no, they still can't interpret it. Uh, the, the, the wise guys strike out again. They have, the world has no answers. Chapter 2, they, could, he, they couldn't tell what the dream was. Now he makes it easy, and they still can't interpret it. Why did he even bother to ask them? The world has no answers. The world has no answers. Still, 2,600 years later, after this happened, here we are, and we, we, we still have no answers. The world has no answers. How did we get here? The question, how did we get here? That's a deep, deep question. How did we get here? The Big Bang. That's the best we can do. Who pulled the trigger, right? Uh, where did we come from? Where did we come from? Where did human beings come from? Well, monkeys. <laughs> really? Uh, really? That's the best you can do? And people know it. They, they did a survey. Only 10% of Americans believe in evolution as it's taught in public schools today. Only 10% by the lie. But they keep pushing it. Uh, secular counseling. And, and when you go to secular counseling, not Christian counseling, secular counseling, and, and, and have marriage problems and, problems, and people come to me and say, well, I need help with my marriage. I went to a secular counsel, psychologist, psychiatrist, worldly, and this is what they told me. I'm like, they told you what? Really? How is that going to help? That's only going to make it worse. We're, we're completely 
clueless. The world is grasping at straws. That's what the world is doing. Uh, one of the best examples is cryonics, where they, where they cut people's head off and they freeze it and hope to bring them back someday. That's the best they can do. You know, that's the, the best they can do for eternal life without God. That's attempt at, at eternal life. And I saw the one story years ago. I saved it because I just amazing story. One guy got arrested. His 83 year old mother was uh, going to die. And so he wanted to make sure her head was fresh so he gave her some drugs to kill her so they could get the head off real quickly and he got arrested for murder and he's like but she was already dead and I go no the coroner said no 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 that's not what happened you killed her but he but turns out he admitted I wanted to make sure I had the best chance of getting a fresh head so I could bring her back someday uh-huh. Okay, anywho, that's the best that the world can do. It, it, it's crazy, right? And so this is what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. So he, the, the guy, wise guys have no answer. He finally calls Daniel. He should have called him first, should have learned his lesson. But even as Christians, we don't always turn to Jesus first, do we? We don't always turn to God's word first. We wait till we're at, at our wit's end or as a last straw, a last resort, right? We, a lot of times we do the same dumb thing that Nebuchadnezzar did here. But he finally turns to him. We're, we, we don't need to wait till we're at the end of our rope. We should be turned to God first. <laughs> the doctors can't help me, so I'm going to turn to God, right? Uh, that's our thinking. We should turn to God first. So he, he turns to Daniel, and we see here in Daniel 4, verse 8 and 9. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him my dream. He is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. So he comes, Daniel, to the rescue. Who do people usually turn to when they get to the end of the rope, when they're in a deep crisis? The Christians. They turn to us. You see, we talk about the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but there's really five Gospels, isn't there? Most people will never even read the four Gospels, but they'll read the fifth. They'll see our lives. They see us. They see Christ in us. And that's who they often turn to. I'm, Kim and I are in the community, and... We have, lot, we, have, we have a good relationship with the community and we have lots of friends. They respect us and they like us and even love us, but, but they also think we're a little bit weird, a little crazy. I mean, 13 kids and, and we're Christians and, and you know, that pastor who believes the Bible and all these things that we don't believe in. And, but when there's a crisis, who do they turn to? They come onto that baseball field, we're watching a game, and I don't get to watch the game because they start spilling their guts to me. Or they spill their guts to Kim, the ladies to Kim, the men to me. And, and the, the coronavirus, how many people have turned to us and, and tried to figure out answers, trying to see what's going on in this world? What does the Bible have to say about this? And it's, they, may, they, they turn to us when they're in their deepest crisis. We've got to take our shots and take the snickers and, and the rolling of the eyes. But, but when it really comes, they don't turn to their drinking buddy or their smoking buddy. You know, they don't you know, get out the, the person they got out the bong with. And that happens all over our neighborhood, all over the community. Uh, it, it's, that's not who they turn to. They turn to us. 
because we have the answers in God's word and through Jesus Christ. And so we, he tells Daniel the dream. He turns to Daniel. He tells Daniel the dream. Verse 10. Let's start with verse 10. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit abundant and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From, from it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked and there before me was a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of, of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. Uh, let's see, did I go too far? Uh, oh, one more verse. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And so we, we see that he tells Daniel the dream. Nebuchadnezzar is stumped. He knows the dream is about him. He dreads the meaning of the dream. He, just like Ebenezer Scrooge and, and the, the ghost of Christmas future and how he dreaded what he was going to see. He knew that it was about him in that grave, right? He dread, Nebuchadnezzar dreads the meaning. Many people are like Nebuchadnezzar now with a coronavirus crisis. They realize that their security is an optical illusion, that they're not in control, and they, they have this dread, this constant dread that is breaking them. Then we see in verse 19 that God gives Nebuchadnezzar one last chance. We're going to look at how he sees he gives Nebuchadnezzar one last chance. Then Daniel, also called verse 19, called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meanings alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Daniel is upset. He's speechless. He knows the meaning, but he doesn't want to tell him. Have you ever had to break some really bad news to someone? You had to break it to them? As a pastor, I've had to do that a lot of times. It's horrible. I've had to do it in my own family. It's horrible. It's horrible. Nebuchadnezzar says, tell me. He knows it's about him. He knows what's coming. It's like sitting in the doctor's office and you know the prognosis is going to be bad. And he says, tell me, it's okay. I won't cut you to pieces. He trusts Daniel. He knows it's bad news. He's pleading for answers from Daniel. And Daniel says, I wish it was anybody but you. What a lesson on how to warn somebody or admonish someone. This Nebuchadnezzar's a monster. But yet Daniel, look how he treats him. He, he, he's grieved. He's hesitant. With tears. 
He speaks the truth in love. That's what we're commanded to do in Ephesians. We're commanded to speak the truth in love. We're commanded to have mercy and grace to those, even those we have to admonish or warn or, or give them a, a serious message from God, from God's word. That's, what a great lesson for us. And then he gives them the interpretation in verse 20. Verse 20. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air. You, O king, are that tree! Exclamation point, by the way. You, O king, are that tree! You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it has reached the skies and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, we know these are angels, we know what they are. He says, uh, verse, um, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its root to remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him, let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the king. You will be driven away from the, the people and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and wishes, gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its root means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that, hev that heaven rules. Woo! Wow. He, the interpretation, you are the tree. This is all about you. And when we dream about animals, the experts tell us what animals symbolize in dreams. Okay, And here's what animals symbolize. If you haven't had these dreams, you're these dreams. A mouse symbolizes minor irritation. A whale symbolizes reproduction. How? I don't know. Uh, dinosaurs symbolize fear. If you dream about jellyfish, it symbolizes helplessness. Remember, the world has no answers. <laughs> An oyster symbolizes secretiveness. A chicken symbolizes nourishment. <laughs> A crow symbolizes bad news. And an octopus symbolizes, also symbolizes bad news. All right, so this, if you dream about any of these animals, now you know the answer to your dream, okay? Like I said, the world has no answer. But, but Daniel, but Nebuchadnezzar dreamed he was a tree, dreamed he was a tree who became an animal. Gets pretty tricky. Only, only God could interpret this, which God, Daniel does. He was proud. He was proud, and God is going to cut him down to size. Going to cut him down to size. He was, he was really stumped. He's going to be really stumped by this dream. He won't die, but he's going to be stumped. There's going to be an iron ring. There will be no escape from God's power, this iron bronze ring that's going to hold him in place. I was trying to think of being held in place and you can't get away. And I saw this story. Uh, this Brazilian grandpa, his, his grandson was caught by an anaconda. I'll read you the story. 66-year-old Brazilian man wrestled with a 15-foot anaconda for nearly an hour to free his grandson from the snake's crushing grip. He, this guy says his grandson, eight, would likely be dead inside the belly of this 
15-foot anaconda if he hadn't been able to help him. He jumped into the, the ravine and grappled with a snake who had grabbed a hold of his grandson, and he started crawling around him too. They were crawling around both of him. It's what saved him if you ever saw Swiss Family Robinson. And remember the two brothers fighting with a snake in the water with the machete? <clears throat> great, great scene. Very, very scary. This is what it's a picture of. He's fighting with this thing. And, he, and he's trying to save it. He tried to grip and loosen the grip on the boy's neck, but the snake was too strong. So he used stones and he starts pounding on it. Then he grabbed, got a hold of his machete and starts attacking it. He said it was... I kept hitting it with the machete, but it was like hitting a rubber tire. It just kept bouncing off it. It wouldn't tear. And finally, after a long struggle, he was able to, to, to kill the snake, chop it, its head off and kill the snake. The boy needed 21 stitches in its, its chest where the snake had bit him and latched onto him. And, and, but he, could, he finally got him free. But there's no freeing us from God's grip. He got free from this snake and Swiss Family Robinson. Don't want to spoil it for you, but they finally chased the snake away. But, but there's no getting free. Once God gets his grip on us, there is no getting free of this grip, which Nebuchadnezzar is going to see. But what's left is there was a stump and the roots, obviously, under the stump were left. And they're going to be restored, but only when he acknowledged God's sovereignty. Then the curse would be lifted. He's going to be judged, and yet... Look what Daniel says in verse 27. Amazing God's grace. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins. He's talking to Nebuchadnezzar. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. He just called Nebuchadnezzar wicked. <laughs> it may be that then your prosperity will continue. There's still a chance, Nebuchadnezzar. God's mercy and grace is still there. If you change, God gives him through Daniel's warning one last chance. Repent of your sin. Repent of your wickedness. He had cooked so many people, poked so many people's eyes out. He was oppressive. Babylon was amazing, but it was built by slaves, totally oppressed and taxing the poor. But before we see what God gives him one last chance, before God judges, before he or disciplines, he disciplines his people, he judges those who aren't his people, uses the same thing many times, but God always, before he gives that final discipline, that final judgment, God always warns. He leaves a window of grace open before he drops the hammer. He gives that window of grace. He leaves that window of grace open. We may be seeing that in the USA today right now, our last window of grace. We don't know. But Nebuchadnezzar, he did this with Nebuchadnezzar chapter 2. He had the dream, chapter 3, the fire. And now this, the intensity of his warnings <clears throat> each time increase. Many times I warn people over and over. I warn them. I warn them over and over again with increasing urgency because I see God's increasing discipline or if they're not a Christian, God's increasing judgment. <clears throat> and I warn them. And, and, and I, 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 I'll tell someone, stop. Stop what you're doing or you're going to end up in prison. And sometimes they listen, but often they don't. And sure enough, they're in prison. Then they write me letters from prison. Oh, I'm changing. We'll see when you get out. But, but the... They, they, I, you warn them and they don't listen. They end up in prison. I, I warn some people, I warn many people, you're going to lose your family and your marriage if you don't stop what you're doing. If you don't stop this path that you're on, you're going to lose your marriage and family. And some listen. I've seen some exciting healings and families and marriages, but, but some don't. And the consequences, it happens. And people will even call me and say, years later, you were right. I've lost it all. 
I've lost my business. I've lost my family. I've lost my marriage. I'm losing my mind. I should have listened to you. And it's heartbreaking because they, they don't listen. I, I think of my own son, Ryan. He, I saw the progression over seven years with him. He would not stop this, this terrible steps downward that he was taking. And I remember he ended up in, in the mental hospital because he was so upset, the, suicidal. And I remember saying, Ryan, God's trying to get your attention. He's trying to get your attention. He goes, yeah, Dad, I know you warned me a long time ago. When I was a little kid, you warned me where I was going to end up. And here I am because I was making bad decisions even when I was a little kid. And I go, I, I know. And, and, and then, then he, but, he, but he was soft for a little bit. And then he went back. And, and then he was hit by a car. Should have been killed. He wasn't. I don't know why. He wasn't killed. And I remember talking to him after he was hit by a car. And I said, Ryan, God's trying to get your attention. What, what more, what will it take to you respond to God, trying to bring you back to himself? You used to follow God. You used to live for God. You were going to commit your life to missions, you know, and, and now you've gone down this other path. And God's just like Jonah, swallowed by the whale. God's trying to get your attention. What will it take? He goes, I know. I know he is, but I'm pretty stubborn. I'm pretty stubborn. I remember just being terrified when he said that. And sure enough, and sure enough, he, he didn't come back to God. He didn't come back to his calling and his purpose. And God had to take him home. God had to take him home. What will it take? The same goes for a country. What will it take? God gives us warning after warning and increasing warnings. What will it take with a country? In, in Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18, 18, 7 to 10, listen to what God says to a country through the prophet Jeremiah. He says that if any time... I announced that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warn repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. That's the good thing. And if at another time I announced that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, USA Today, and it does, not, and it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Jeremiah 18, 7 to 10. Terrifying words for any country, especially the USA Today. We are seeing many warnings increasing in intensity. We saw 9-11. We saw Katrina. We saw lots of things in between. We, now we're in the coronavirus pandemic panic. And, and we see, and yet, are we responding? Are we repenting? I, I think a lot of people are, a lot of Christians are, maybe half the country is listening, but the other half is getting harder than ever and it's terrifying. Reminds me of the Civil War, right before the Civil War. I just think of abortion itself. We, we as a country, since 9-11, we've progressed from just killing babies to selling their body parts. And, and if those, the people who, who expose this have been arrested and fined lots of money for exposing what is happening with Planned Parenthood selling body parts. And it's, they're not the only ones. I would encourage you to listen to my sermon, Connecting the Dots to the Coronavirus and Beyond. Listen to that sermon. It, it, there, there's a lot to listen to. It's a big warning for the USA Today. So, once again, with, with, with discipline or judgment, with Christians, we are disciplined. With the nuns, those are the people with no faith, that's what they call them now, the nuns, they face judgment. 
they're judged, and as Christians, we're disciplined. It's, it, we aren't judged like the world because God loves us and he's spanking us, but the world gets judged because they, the, 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 not, the nuns, the, the ones who don't know Christ, get judged. God could use the same event, coronavirus, same event, for both of us, the Christians and the nuns, <clears throat> but with different results, different results. One is intended to bring us to God, and the other one is there's judgment. And in a discipline, if we don't respond, God will bring us home. Uh, Paul taught that very clearly, that he'll bring us home before he'll lose us, but it's, it looks the same. The judgment, the discipline looks the same when it gets bad enough. Now, how is God warning us? How is God warning us? What is he calling us to repent of? What is he calling us to do? Are we going to listen to his warning? Will we listen? God is constantly warning us. Will we listen? I had a, a, a car. It reminds me of something that happened with my car. I had a yellow Super Beetle, a yellow Super Beetle car, and it was my first car, and uh, <laughs> it was a lot. I should have listened. I didn't listen to my dad. I bought the car without listening to my dad. Uh, that was the first thing. Then I had a car accident with it. Uh, I was riding with someone, and we were driving the car, and I wasn't paying attention. Focused on the person I was riding with, and uh, ran into a car in front of me, and uh, it was a little. Nothing much. It was a, not even a fender bender. The other car wasn't damaged at all, but because it was a Volkswagen, it was so low, my, vent, my bumper missed their bumper and hit the, the, the hood, and you know, there's no engine in there. It's just an empty space. The engine's in the back, and so it ended up denting the, the car, and so uh, I tried... I didn't want to pay money to get it fixed, so I t took a hammer and bang, 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 and then I tied it down keep it. Oh, I was something with cars. <clears throat> so then, uh, not long, and I have a whole other story about shifting, but I'll use that for another sermon. But the, this car was already banged up, and uh, I was driving it home one day, and, and I was at a, I remember I was coming from Lockport, I was coming top of a hill, and <clears throat> the, the, uh, the engine light came on, the red engine light came on. Now, you know what's supposed to happen. If the red engine light comes on, what should you do? Stop the car and shut it off <laughs> it, it, immediately. That's what you should do because it means you have oil. It was the oil light. I'm sorry, the oil light came on. Back then, it was an oil light. Now, that means all kinds of things. But at this time, it was the red oil light, I'm sorry, that came on. And <clears throat> you're supposed to shut it off quick because that means you're out of oil and bad things can happen to your engine if you don't have oil. But what I did is I'm like... I gotta get home quick. I was seven miles from, from home and I was at the top of this hill and I was like, I gotta get home quick and I gunned it as much as you could gun a VW and I went down this hill really fast and I come down to the bottom and there was a, a bridge over the canal at the bottom, the, the, the Lockport Canal down at the bottom and, and I come zooming down and it was a really narrow bridge. It was a one lane bridge. But I was going so fast, I'm not paying attention. I just want to get home. Oh, six and a half miles more to go. And I get to the bridge, and I come flying up on top, and there was another car on the bridge, which was only made for one car. There's another car, and I'm going too fast. There's nothing I can... I just remember squeezing over, and the person's eyes went... I just never heard their face. Boing! You know? And, and somehow they had a little car. I had a little car. Somehow I squeezed by them. <laughs> <laughs> God, God kept, God is in control. And just like with Nebuchadnezzar, God's in control, sovereign, kept me alive. So I get over, I come zooming down, and there's a, a stop sign. I slow down, but I zoom through that, and I come, I went about another 100 yards, and the car shut down. 
it seized up. I was done. And I was like, <gasps> you know, and, it, and I'm like, what am I going to do? <clears throat> and so I, I was near a field and there was a house. There was a house right up on the left-hand side, one house. And I walked up and I, you know, knocked on the door and I said, I'm always knocking on doors, whether it's dogs or cars, right? And I knocked on the door and I said, oh my, I think I ran, I ran out of oil. The light came on and the car shot off and I was going to try to get home. He said, ooh, not a good idea. I know, I know. So he, 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 I said, what should I do? He goes, well, what? I got oil. Let me put it in. And, and if I put the oil in and the car starts and can drive, you're okay. But if it doesn't, you're going to need a new engine. So I'm like, oh. So I, he puts the oil in. I start the car and it started. And it started moving. I'm like, yay, thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, it, the guy saved me, saved my car. And I, I drove home with it. I got away with that driving through that red light, I thought. But a short time later, I was driving down the road near the house. I was about half mile from the house, and it was actually right, right near the, the Sweeney's. They had a farm, our good friends, the Sweeney's. They had a farm, and something blew out, and looked at, and back, and there was a whole bunch of oil scattered all over the road, a stream of oil, a trail of oil. I'm like, oh, I knew this time I stopped the car right away, shut it off, because I knew I had no oil, and the oil light was on again, red light. This time I listened, and, uh, but I had to get it home. And it turns out I probably had beaten it up a little bit too badly between my gear shifting story, which you'll hear another time and coming, you know, driving without oil and a lot of other things that happened to this car. And so I had to get it home. So I called my, uh, I got my friends. I had two good friends. I had lots of good friends, but my two really good buddies that were right nearby, uh, Eric and Leonard and Eric and Leonard. I, I said, come help me get my car home. So Eric, got in his car and we put a chain on his bumper and put a chain on my bumper and we towed it home. And, and when we get back into my, our driveway, it's rolling in, Eric's driving nice and slow and, and uh, we get, Leonard was in my car, I was directing things, I was like in the seat and, and I said, now when I get out, I'm going to get out and I'm going to jump out. I'm talking to both of them because we're coming in not too fast. I'm running alongside the cars. Now when I say stop, stop. And so I said, okay, stop. And, and uh, Eric, Eric eased on to his brakes to stop slowly. And Leonard, in my car, jammed on the brakes. He, he, he did this to a, He caused a lot of damage to a lot of cars, didn't you, Lenny? So, <laughs> remember the light pole? Anyway, well, uh, but he jammed on the brakes. And so he did that. My bumper went like, it was already banged inward. Uh, it was already banged in a little bit because I, you know, had this accident. But it went, but the hood was it took the real ba beating. Uh, it went like boom, went into an arrow shape, <laughs> arrow shape. And so uh, Eric got out and said, "Leonard, what are you doing?" You know, I'm like, "Leonard, what are you doing?" He goes, "You said stop." I well, get out of my car. So uh, now I got a car that was a banged in hood, and not only was the hood banged in from that other accident, but it also affected my headlight one of the headlight was went up and one went into people's faces <laughs> oh, oh everybody knew about me and so i drive whenever i would drive i would actually drive along at, at night and the one headlight would hit the light the lights the automatic 
street lights and put them out. I'd be driving along and all of a sudden the headlight, the street lights would go out. Like, this is cool. We, I would drive down, try to hit all the street lights, put them all out. And, but the worst was when I'm driving towards somebody because of the angle now of the other light, it would shine right in people's eyes on low beam, on low beam. And so people would constantly be flashing me to put my lights down. But it wasn't up, it was down. So I would be always ready as I'm coming by. And as soon as they flashed me, I'd flash it and it would come really into their face and really let them have it. So, Yes, God can change anybody, Nebuchadnezzar and Chuck. Well, anyway, so so this car was already a mess. The, the hood was a mess, the lights were a mess, and now the bumper was a mess. And the engine, which I got fixed, it wasn't too bad of a situation. They were able to get, the, get it fixed, get oil in it, and get it driving again. <clears throat> it was already a mess before I bought it, Lemon. But but now it had this, this bumper sticking out. And, and I remember, how am I going to fix this? I, and, and I talked to somebody and said, it'll cost this much to get the, the bumper back. <laughs> and the hood, nothing I could do. It was tied down with a rope and, because I couldn't latch it anymore. And, uh, and so I came up with a plan. How could I get that bumper in? And someone, I can't remember who, someone had said, you could always just try to bump it into a tree. Not too hard. There was no airbag on this car, so I could do this. But try bumping into the car. And I'll never forget. So I want to fix this bumper and get it kind of in line. It's not going to be pretty, but it's going to be not an arrow anymore. And I remember driving into the old box alder tree out, out, out back there. And I remember there was a good-sized box alder tree. I just remember driving in and bumping into it, getting out. No, it didn't do anything. Driving into it, boom. No, I didn't do anything. And then really, boom. <laughs> okay, looks pretty good. <laughs> all because, all because, why? I drove through the red oil light. I didn't pay attention to the warning light. And so many times we do the same thing. Have you ever driven through God's warning light? His red light? I have. Not just with my car, but in my life, I have many scars. Many, many scars. But those scars are also a reminder of God's grace. A reminder of God's grace. What red light in your life are you are trying to drive through? It could be anything. It could be, what is God using to warn us? It could be anything. It could be a sickness or an injury. It could be a roadblock in our life somehow. It could be a friend who's warning us. It could be a sermon that you heard. It could be the Word, and, or just or you're, you're reading the Word, or just the Holy Spirit convicting, convicting. We, you may look back years from now. I, only I know my scars. You may look back years from now to this day to this sermon, either with regret or thanks. Either with regret or strength. Even if you're in the midst of discipline right now, there is hope, just like Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar, there is hope that we can be restored when God's purpose is complete for his discipline. When it's complete, we can be restored. Wait till you hear the rest of the story of Nebuchadnezzar next time. God's incredible grace. But God can, to any mess that we've created, God can bring good out of it. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know God can work good in any situation, in any mess, God's the ultimate junk artist. No matter what mess we have made of our life, if we put that mess into God's hands, humbly put it into his hands, he can bring something good out of it. He can bring good out of any bad, anything. 
If we, if we will submit to what he's trying to do, if we will come to him for his mercy and grace, if we'll persevere in this, not just, you know, get out of a quick, but if we'll persevere in it, we, we, we can come to God for his mercy and grace. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says this very thing. In Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, where it says, uh, uh, oh, I'm going to have to look it up. I know this one inside and out, but I'm going to have to look it up. Hebrews 4, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Now here we go. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So that we may receive mercy and find grace. Mercy is the forgiveness. Grace is to help us to keep on going and not to keep messing up. That's any one of us, no matter what stage of our life or discipline or even judgment we're in, we can turn to God for his mercy and grace. We can come to that throne of grace for God's mercy and grace. No matter what mess we've made, he will bring something good out of it. He will bring something good out of it. And you may not be here listening to this and you're not a Christian yet. You can't you're not going to be in discipline. You're facing God's judgment. But you can look back on this day someday with thanks or horror because you can walk away from that judgment and come into a relationship with God and find forgiveness from whatever you're doing. But you will either look back on this day with either horror or thanksgiving. John 3.36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. Have you come for life or have you rejected God's word and you have God's wrath on you? John 3.16 tells us how we can have that life. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever believed in Jesus? Have you ever passed from wrath into life by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. You can do that right now. Let's pray. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in the son has life but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. You can choose, you must choose today, life or judgment. And life is through Jesus Christ by putting our faith in Jesus, receiving the Son, a prayer of faith, putting our faith in Jesus. God, I believe. I don't want wrath, I want life. I believe in Jesus. I believe you gave him to die for me, for my sin, in my place as a substitute for me. He took my sin. He took my punishment. I put my faith in him. I believe in Jesus. I give my life to him. I walk away from that old life. I repent of that. I believe in Jesus. I give my life to him. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, you now have life and you don't have to fear God's wrath. You have life. 
For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is God warning us? How Maybe we're under some kind of a discipline, not judgment. The world's under judgment, but maybe we're being disciplined. Maybe there's that red oil light flashing going on. Will we listen? Will we pay attention? Will we turn back to God? Will we repent? Will we do whatever it takes to listen and to persevere in that discipline until God's purpose is fulfilled? And his main purpose is to bring us out of whatever is hurting us, whatever crashes that we're facing. Just like I crashed that car, you know, all the damage it did, there's lots of damage that we will do to our life. God's trying to save us from that damage. Will we persevere by listening to him, avoiding future damage? What do we need to respond to God on today? Father, Father I pray that every one of us would listen to your Holy Spirit's prompting, to the whisper, to the spanking, to the smackdown, whatever it takes, whatever it takes for us to listen. Lord, I pray that we would listen and return to you and, and find not just eternal life, but real life here and now, the joy and the peace and the purpose that you have for us here. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.